It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, happy Tuesday and welcome to Talent Talk. I'm excited for today's show. I get to have two awesome people on to talk about talent, talk about culture, and all the things that I love to talk about. So, of course, I'm excited. Hopefully, you all are excited as well. In fact, one of them is a uh, return all-star to the show. I think this might be her third time on the show, if I'm remembering correctly. And then she's gonna we're going to bring in uh, the newest all-star to the conversation as well. So, uh, in case this is the first time you're tuning in, welcome, or if it's been a while, I want to just remind you, don't forget, you can find us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you you know, kind of digest your podcast, go there and subscribe so that you don't miss out, you don't ever miss on when we have someone cool on the show, let the uh, AI bots do their work and remind you whenever there's a new show up there, you don't have to do any work at all, that is the, I guess, the advantages or disadvantages of technology. Um, and, you know, this is really about us having a conversation uh, uh, with really talented people, which we have on the show today, and also finding out what are talented people thinking about for their talent or in their service and, and how to help others uh, manage their talent in more effective ways and keep their people happy, healthy, productive, profitable, high performing, whatever is important to you, all those things kind of come into play. And we've had so many amazing stories on the show from all sorts of incredible leaders from Fortune 100 companies down to, you know, entrepreneurs just starting off their first businesses. And we put those, uh, put a lot of those in my first book, The Power of Company Culture, uh, published by Kogan Page. And then I have a new book coming out called Remote Work, also published by Kogan Page. And as you'll find out, this is a theme because um, the authors actually have their new book out today on Amazon. It is called Designing Exceptional Organizational Cultures. And believe it or not, it is published by Kogan Page. So you can find all those books on their website, on Amazon, wherever you want to go. But really hope that you'll check it out. Um, you know, we do have Talent Talk every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, unless I'm lazy or it's a holiday. And we try to make sure that you all can be a part of the conversation. And we do that. Um, my social media manager, Angela, actually live tweets during the show. So follow at PeopleG2, the hashtag Talent Talk. She will only put the smart things we say there in print on Twitter. She'll put all the best links, uh, maybe links to books, links to profiles, anything that you might have wanted to write down if you were listening in the car or on your phone or something. Um, but it's a great resource, even if you're not listening live, to go back and look, find the handles of our guests and interact with them and ask questions. We're happy to Keep the conversation going, even if it's a year later or two years after we've been on the show. Feel free to come in and ask questions. All right, enough teasing. I'll tell you who my guests are today. 
In fact, they're on the show together, which has been happening a little more often on this show. Instead of doing our traditional one guest, take a commercial, bring in a next guest, we're having them together, which should be a lot of fun. So the show will be a little bit uh, different in the format, but I think you'll all be able to follow along. Uh, but my guests today are Jamie Jacobs. As I mentioned, she's back on the show. So uh, been here a few times and uh, her partner, Hema Crockett, and uh, they're co-founders of Gig Talent and authors, co-authors of Designing Exceptional Organizational Cultures, released today. Congratulations to you both on the book. I know it takes a lot to get that done and you two survive without killing each other uh, as co-authors. So congratulations to you both. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. Thank We're you. thrilled to be here. Yeah, so, Jamie, thank you since, so much. Yyeah, so Jamie, since you're the returning all-star here, why don't you kick us off with who you are, what you guys are doing, what what should we know about you, and then we'll kick it over to Hema. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so thrilled to be here and really appreciate your support as a fellow author. It's been uh, quite a journey. So our background is we've got over 40 years of combined experience as in-house HR executives, and we were building cultures and leading transformation within companies, and that was really our passion. And then three years ago, we decided to start our own business. And the reason we did that was because we wanted to be able to have a broader impact across multiple companies and really focus specifically on areas of culture and transformation. Um, last year, we launched Gig Talent, which you mentioned, and it's a modern co uh, talent collective that connects highly skilled HR people, uh, strategy people, and operations consultants, as well as leadership coaches um, with organizations who want to access the best that the, the gig economy can offer. Um, and it's really been fun for us to see that start to flourish because so many people are choosing to work as in the gig economy itself. Right. And there's so much you guys have done in such a short period of time. And yet the whole world has gone upside down while all that was happening and while you were writing a book. Um, and I don't know how you get 40 years of experience. Did you guys start when you were 10? I don't know. But we um, did. We did. Right, Let's go with right. that. Go I'm with a little that. older than she is. It's all right. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> So, Hema, why don't you introduce yourself? Yes, yeah, I'm Hema Crockett. So excited to be here. And I have to say, Chris, thank you for introducing us to Kogan. It yeah. was, gosh, I think about 18 months ago that you made that introduction, and we are forever grateful for that. Um, as Jamie mentioned, this is our passion. This is what we love doing. And we're so excited that we're able to release this book as well that that dives deeper into the work that we've spanned our careers doing, but also work that we love helping our clients do today. Yeah. Well, anything, you know, I'm always happy to do a recommendation, especially for half the royalties. So don't forget that. <laughs> um, no. Um, so I, I, think, I didn't well, put that in the contract. No, I'm just yeah, yeah, it was I didn't there. sign the contract, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. So that's you. <laughs> So, you know, I think one of the interesting uh, things that comes up a lot is this idea of organizational culture. And I'm hoping you guys can maybe talk about what that is, because I think where I spend my time, my work is actually in systematic culture. I get really into systems and putting things in place that help people like do the things we want them to do by just kind of creating this like brainless, not brainless, but like simple system that can be repeatable and done. It doesn't take someone like having to think about it for three hours and like you know, worry about what the decision really aligns or not. It's like, it's simple. Does it all this process? It's easy for someone to do. Is that different than organizational culture? I mean, how do we sort of frame this for the conversation today? Yeah, you know, I think it's a portion of organizational culture. I think those systems help drive culture forward 
And the way we think about culture, it's really this intersection of values, actions, and behaviors, right? And then you operationalize it through those systems. So we think of it really like rules of engagement. This is how we want people to work within organizations in order to help meet objectives, be happy, be engaged, and really bring their discretionary effort to work every day. Yeah, it's really how do you get stuff done? And then what yeah. are the norms of getting out those things done, right? Yeah. I mean, Perfect. is it normal to have quick 15-minute meetings or is it normal for your boss to trap you on a three-hour long Zoom call, right? I would argue the latter is terrible, but that is a norm, <laughs> right? It might be what people are doing. Um, you know, is, is there, is there more to that as well, Jamie, as far as, as the practical part of that work? Is there sort of more that we need to think about? Yeah. You know, I think that the, to your point, uh, your, if you use your example, right, how the leaders are setting meetings, it's the behaviors that we don't even realize are setting culture, right? And mm -hmm. so I think all three of us advocate around getting intentional and just like taking a step back to recognize because culture is accumulation of of all of those decisions and behaviors and what everybody brings to work every day. And so when we, if we um, have leaders, for example, who um, are not living your values, like that as the CEO or the leader of the organization, like allowing that is, send, is setting your culture a, on, a current, on a path, right? And there's a choice, right? So we wanna take, we wanna be intentional and, and really look at our own behaviors as leaders as well as what's happening in the organization to to set it where we want it to be. And, and that's how we make changes. I mean, our, the book walks people kind of through a way to look at your organization in that lens. But I think it's as simple as that. The, the behaviors and actions that people are taking contribute to your culture every day. The people that you hire on your team, I mean, that's why some of the work you do is so important because I, I just had a CEO this morning talking about every person we add to our company is going to evolve our culture. Are they going to evolve it in a in a good way, or is it going to not be in a good way? And so, and and how do we even you know when we onboard somebody, how do we let them know kind of what those expectations are and integrate them into the desired culture? So those are all things that we can be more intentional about. Right. You know, I've I've had people tell me like, how do I know if a culture is going to be good, right? And and I usually try to get them to think about what is the most important one or two things that they want from a culture. They're walking in the door, and then how do they test for that going in the door? I had someone recently tell me, you know, well, respect is a really important thing. But I want people, you know, to respect each other, respect others' time. You know, that, that that is a that word was sort of the one they use. I said, okay, great. Well, then go back and ask them what an average meeting looks like with their the senior leader with their CEO. And then I said, try to figure out if those people ever show up late to meetings. And sure enough, she said, yeah, it's pretty normal for them to show up late to meetings. And I go, guess what? Respect is not something that's going on in that yep. culture. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And we shouldn't be afraid as um, candidates, you know, or someone looking to join a company to ask those questions because that alignment with our personal values is really going to set the tone of whether, you know, it's going to be something that's fun and that you enjoy long term. Yeah. What so, I always say is I call them non-negotiables. Right. Yeah. We have this laundry list of stuff that we want in a company, but really we have maybe two to three non-negotiables. Right. What are those? And try and ask questions to get more clarity, I would say, and answers to what those non-negotiables are for you. And as a candidate, I think we can they can do those things and they should be relatively, I guess, specific, right? Those non-negotiables. What are those things? Because you could use a sort of a dating analogy, right? Like if you had this list of all the things this person yeah. has to be, you may be lonely for the rest of your life. 
Right. Right. <laughs> You'll have no job if you have the same list, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> so you have to be what's what do you really, really care yeah. about? And then everything else you have to kind of figure out because it's just how it is. But maybe we could talk about what's really important for from the organizational standpoint, right? What they should be focusing on and why culture is important. I think I've always put it on that performance, profit, and productivity uh, thing that that's the lens because I'm, you know, as a CEO, that's generally the three words I hear most from other CEOs are usually in some way, shape, or form using that one of those words to describe some sort of issue in the organization. But when I've gone into work with CEOs, um, they always, usually the ones who are all messed up are the ones who tell me, I have an open door policy. People can come and talk to me anytime. And to them, that's their culture, right? That they are open. And, they, and then these, the first question my mouth is, is, well, how many people actually do that? <laughs> right. Zero. Unless they're leaving or asking for a raise or like something really big. Like people just don't come in to talk to the bot because they don't feel comfortable. So are there specific things, maybe Hemo, that, that, that culture, that, excuse me, that organizations really need to be focused on for the culture to be right? Yeah. First of all, I would say there's probably no universal right. Right. Each organization is going to have a different culture that is unique to them. Mm -hmm. But there are some foundational items which span across any organization. And one of them we briefly touched on already is really around that self-awareness as a leader. Mm. Right. Because people are constantly watching what leaders are doing and leaders are setting the tone for what behavior is acceptable and what actions others can get away with as well. So right. I think regardless of the organization, that is a fundamental piece of organizational culture, uh, really walking the talk. And then I think being intentional about who you are and understanding what makes you special as an organization and making sure that's built in to all facets of your culture. What we often find is people have you know, their secret sauce, whatever that secret sauce may be in their particular culture, but it's not infused anywhere. It's just kind of said, this is what we love doing. This is who we are. Mm -hmm. But their total rewards don't reflect it. Their recognition programs don't reflect it. Their leadership development doesn't reflect it. DNI programs don't reflect it. So it's just kind of there and not really uh, woven through all facets of the organization. Yeah, I mean, I, I can remember thinking a few years back, we had a real problem, like people weren't taking their vacations. Mm -hmm. Right. And people were, were stressed out and they were burned out. And even though I was telling them, I want you to take your vacation, it's okay. Please take your vacation. You know, I did everything I could to to sort of verbally deal with it. Right. But then I realized we needed to do something else more intentional. And I heard that Ariana Huffington used to had her IT person go in and wipe out everyone's mm -hmm. emails when they came back from vacation. And I was like, okay, we can't do that. But we can do something <laughs> close to that. And so we actually had the managers go on with employees on the day they're back, give them an update, what's been happening, what did you miss, and show me on your screen, delete all your emails. And that immediately, as soon as we started doing that, people started taking their vacations. So it wasn't that they didn't want to go on vacation, and it wasn't they were worried that I was going to be mad or anyone's going to be mad at them. They didn't want to come back to a load of two weeks worth of emails to have to sift through. They didn't want all that pile of work waiting for them when that was just more work than going on vacation and not, or not going on vacation. So, you know, it's like, you have to think about, I think the things that you want to happen to your point, Emma, being 
kind of aware as a leader, right? What are the specific things we're doing if we want a particular outcome and not just, I guess, stand on our pedestal and preach because that doesn't necessarily move the, doesn't really move us along any farther. Jamie, do you, I saw you shaking your head. Do you have a, something to add to that? Yeah, well, I just think, you know, we were talking about like, why is it important, right? Why is culture important? And yeah, they, it's proven that companies that have um, better cultures um, actually have better profits, but it's it's more than that. I mean, we believe that that as leaders in organizations, we have an obligation to create a place where people can thrive and grow and, and we, and, and to compete and to attract the talent that you need to be able to deliver on your business strategy, you have to be a place people want to work, right? And want to come to and so those are really like big reasons why, you know, it's, it's worth investing in it. And you have to manage your culture just like you do your financials or your business strategy. Mm-hmm. So maybe what's one thing you recommend to leaders who really want to actively manage their culture in their, in their organization? And I, I'm saying, especially what if, what if you're not really like a, a touchy-feely, you know, real people person type of a CEO? You might be an inventor. You might be more of an engineering mind. You might be you're not really, you're not, you're not hanging out with the HR people at the bar, right? I mean, we have these different types of personalities and I find those are the ones that kind of struggle the most with all culture stuff, right? Because they're focused on the product, focused on the service and not so much on the people. So you know, what, what's one thing maybe they could start with? I mean, one thing is to create forums where you can hear from people. So whether that's an engagement survey or, you know, coffees, coffee with the CEO, roundtables that somebody on your team helps facilitate, just ask questions. I mean, really just literally ask people um, or ask through people, you know, assign your team and go ask your team and report back to me, whatever you're comfortable with. But I think getting the data to understand where you're at is one of the most important things because as leaders, we can all make assumptions. Your example, if you're out there preaching take PTO, until you look at the reports and see nobody's taking PTO, you're assuming people are listening to you, you know? And so we need to really understand kind of where we're starting from and then, you know, think about what's most important and just prioritize it also say this sounds really basic, but talk about it, right? I can't tell you how many clients I sit in their executive team meetings and they talk about research or business strategy or a whole host of all these other things for two, three, four hours. And never once have we talked about people. Never once have we talked about how culture is going or what uh, employees are feeling or how they're engaged. So just bring it up. And and do you think that is that bringing it up on a micro level, like inside of the team, inside of a group, or is this more of a macro level, right? Is this providing more opportunities for the larger organization to, you know, have some sort of interaction with senior leadership, or is it some mixture of that? It's both. It's definitely both. I think that leaders have to become comfortable talking about it and then having those discussions with the larger group for sure. Right. right. We've seen it happen in so many different ways, like culture committees where there's a group that stands up to be like that feedback avenue and focus group. Um, But the other thing that's really important from it, just a tangible thing that like a CEO should be doing is is holding their team accountable. You know, at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. So if you do have someone who's not in alignment with your values or not driving the right culture, you have to address it. Like we, we see so many times that that person doesn't want to be the person, like they just want people to make the right decisions. And you know, we want that too, but it doesn't always work that way. And so, you know, sometimes it's doing something that you might not be super comfortable with. Well, we're going to take our quick little commercial break here and we're right back with our guest, Jamie Jacobs and Hannah Crockett. 
the uh, co-founders of Gig Talent and authors of Designing Exceptional Organizational Cultures. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to Talent Talk Radio. Don't forget you can go to TalentTalkRadio.com and find all of our past episodes as long as, as well as anywhere else where you find your podcast. And we are also live tweeting as we're going, so don't forget to go follow at PeopleG2 or the hashtag TalentTalk. Now we're talking about culture and we're talking about what leaders can do. And we were kind of focused there for a moment on the CEO, but you know, a lot of culture and a lot of things that happen in an organization are not with one person or even a senior team. They are really sort of uh, enforced across the middle management or the leaders on teams. And that's really where the kind of the buck stops, I think. So do you think that that has as much impact as the experience someone has let's say on the customer service team or on the sales team, does that have as much to do with how they view culture, how their team and their direct manager interacts with them as how the CEO may want things to go or, or is maybe one kind of more important than the other? Yeah. I, you know, it's a kind of an and answer for me. I mean, I think that the, we know that people don't leave organizations, they leave bad managers. Um, So, you know, (laughs) we know that that's true. So, if there's a leader at any level that isn't isn't really effective, that can be a problem. But but I also think even if you have mid-level managers who are really working hard to drive great culture, it can be quickly undermined if you have a senior leader who is not living in alignment with the values, right? And so that's why at the senior leadership level, we have to be holding ourselves and each other accountable um, because it can just really um, reduce that that trust um, that the, the whole organization will have in us and our culture. It's pretty common to see subcultures within teams, right? So you have the larger culture. And I think as long as the values stay the same across all of those subcultures, it's okay to to see maybe a a deeper bond or, or different types of relationships within, let's say, customer service, because their work can be very different than an IT group or a marketing group. And I think it's about being okay with having those subcultures, again, as long as the core values stay consistent and behavior stay consistent across the organization. Yeah, I mean, what's important to us? What are the norms? What's okay? But yeah, I mean, if I were to survey my company, what what is our culture or what do they value? I find a lot of similarities between people who work together in a particular department. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you look, compare their answers to a different department, they don't really match up. And you're like, well, geez, are they totally like divergent subcultures? And the answer is no, they're just had different experiences because they have 
different norms even inside their own group. I mean, they have, I mean, my sales team, they're always on a video call. They love getting on and jibber jab, right? My research team, they want to be in a Slack room. Don't talk to them. Don't, don't bother them. They have work to do. They're very busy and important. And, but like, I guess where they interact and that's okay. Yeah. I think we just spend our time trying to help our, our managers and our leaders be uh, as aligned as they can be as successful as they can be. And then hope that they do a great job. Right. And you, you kind of know if they're not, cause you can't keep people in that department or, you know, they're not meeting their goals or, or whatever. You know, I know in your book, you talk a lot about talent strategies and how, how those things are starting to change. Um, probably even just changing. We saw them changing in general, not to mention uh, COVID changes. Um, what are you seeing in how organizations are integrating sort of this elastic talent into uh, the, the strategies that they're putting into place now? We're really seeing hybrid strategies. And it's it's been amazing to see, I think, for a couple of reasons. Remote work has really forced us to think about where we're looking at talent and creating these diverse workforces, which don't only have full-time employees, but really the gig economy is coming into play here. And we're, we're able to really bring the best, most qualified talent to the table, regardless of geographic location. And, you know, I think that out of everything that has happened over the past year, this understanding that great talent is anywhere and any company can tap into it has probably been one of the biggest eye openers for those organizations who, who want to continue being the best. Yeah. It's sort of like this waterfall or a dam broke, right, of talent, because when you get rid of this, the a geographical bias, right? That there has to be someone in this particular city or county or state, or that, you know, this person has to have done this, I don't know, gone to this school or done this thing. I mean, who would who would even have thought that bank tellers could work remotely? Who could think that, you know, all these jobs that we never thought possible, and yet here they are, and somebody has a difficult time getting talent in a particular place, they can go anywhere and get it. I mean, there always are some barriers, I mean, time zones, and there are some legal things, but in general, right, if you're not locked into, they have to be within driving distance of my company, you, you can get a totally different person. And then I, I feel like, but we've been talking about this forever, and no one to listen, and then all of a sudden <laughs> it happened, and they were like, oh, this is a really good idea. And Shepard, we wrote the book, Remote Work, we wanted to really talk about all those things that we had already figured out and experienced and knew, but I'm curious is what, what really drove you guys to write your book? What was sort of that underlying, you know, drive to, to get you to do that? Just the, the importance of culture. You know, we feel that, it, you know, it's critical to compete in the marketplace and to ask your customers, your, uh, your competitors to attract the talent that you, that you need and you want. And quite frankly, life is short. Like it should be, work should be fun. And so having a culture where, People are performing and feeling strong about what they're doing and growing and thriving. That is more fun than the alternative. And so we just felt like there's some simple things that we could help, you know, simplify the idea of culture. It sounds like this big monstrous thing and it can be, but there's just simple steps that you could kind of take and look, you know, a lens that you can look through at your organization and make small changes that could have really big impact. I'm wondering if there's maybe what kind of one thing that you often tell people or maybe tell leaders that, that they want to actively manage their culture, you know, in their organization. I've I've spent the last year 
probably freaking people out when I've told them to stop having one-on-one -on -one meetings, especially if you're remote, like you want to be collaborating and getting information shared across groups instead of one at a time, right? That's kind of an old model of come in my office and let's have a conversation um, type of a thing, right? Um, or geez, if you want to move your culture to improve faster, you can't only measure it once a year. You can't just do an annual survey. And that's just, it's just slow and it's like painful and nobody wants to fill out a hundred questions <laughs> once oh, okay. a year, right? So are there, is there like a, a one thing that you guys suggest that people should be thinking about doing? It would be hard to narrow it down to one thing, quite frankly. But for me, one item that comes to mind is in a lot of meetings, how many times do we hear the phrase, let's talk about that offline, mm. right? Which means that there's a meeting after the meeting, which means a decision could be changed. And so now we're, we're chipping away at things like transparency at respect, at a collaborative environment. Um, so for me, it's really about language. I would say one, one big thing is thinking about as leaders when we're in meetings, what are the words that we're using? And are we maybe sidestepping the elephant in the room in certain instances? If we have to talk as a group, let's talk as a group. And we talk about that actually in the book. If you have a issue, be transparent, talk about it, address the elephant in the room and move forward. And a lot of times for us in both our clients today, but also in previous organizations, there tends to be a, a reason to say, stay stagnant, right? You can't move forward and therefore your culture starts declining as a result. So you need to make decisions that help you drive your business forward. So is that issue more of a, a poor sort of process in creating the meeting? Is it a lack of pre-planning and redesign of that meeting? Or is it, you know, a, a sort of a bad sort of way that the leader is not handling maybe possible issues and things coming up? Because I've heard that be used before. And it's like, sometimes people just want to go off on a tangent and hear themselves talk. And you're just like, Dude, we're we're talking about cars. Why are you talking about giraffes mm -hmm. right now? Like yeah. we're let's, right. let's have another meeting on that later. And it's not meant to disenfranchise the people in the room. Right. Kind of like kind of so is that again, is it sort of a pre? Is it a post? What do you think? I think it's more of the second. Like it, because if sometimes it's legitimate. I mean, first of all, like if there really is just but I think a lot of times leaders don't know how to maybe address something if it gets a little uncomfortable or there's a tension, right? So one of when we talk about process or you could talk about the structure of a meeting, one of the things that we call executive templates is a way to actually process their tensions, right? And like look at them and kind of put them on a on a quadrant and or how important are they as far as prioritization? Because just like you're managing, we've talked about managing your finances, managing your business strategy, you got to keep an eye on your culture and your team and, and the organization, how they're working. And as these tensions come up, they may not be like the most important thing for you to deal with today, but I can tell you that most of the time, if you don't ever address them, they're going to potentially derail where you want to go. Having that framework to be able to raise them and have open conversation and even to say like, okay, we know it's there, but we're not going to address that right now. Or in the meeting, assign a couple of people to follow up on it outside and report back in the next meeting. There's ways that you can put process around that. So that people do get more comfortable in talking about those organizational tensions that happen everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And they'll come up in different ways, shapes, and forms, right? Throughout mm -hmm. how you're trying to work, uh, which further derails any progress you're trying to make. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's just, you know, it's that right balance between how do you, how do you say, Hey, we need to talk about that later. And maybe I think in scrum and agile, they call it parking that topic, mm-hmm. you know, so let's park that topic for now. Let's finish what we're doing. And then we can come back to it. Now, if we have time or schedule a meeting with everybody is right. We don't want to dismiss them or make people feel like, well, now decisions are going to be made. There's some sort of politics happening here that I, I'm now not going to be a part of or whatever. Like kind of nine times out of 10, it's people not creating an agenda, not respecting the agenda, right? Wanting to sort of hijack the meeting for their own purposes. And I, you know, kind of keeping that at bay at some level seems to keep everyone else happier. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And the way to like, like you said, to park something, because people have great ideas during the meeting and you don't want to lose those, but you also right. don't want to derail whatever mm-hmm. the agenda is there for. So I've been sort of talking a lot this year to people about creating signposts. And what I mean by that is like, especially when you're remote, you need to be very intentional about what are we doing now, right? So if you walk into a traditional office and there's your boss standing in a conference room, holding a pen, waving you in, you know, we're probably going to have a brainstorming meeting, right? I mean, that's really clear. All the signposts are there, what's going to happen. But when we meet remotely, it's not quite as obvious, right? Are we brainstorming? Are we dealing with a problem? Are we, am I just being told something? Am I just supposed to sit here and listen? And so you have to be really intentional about those signposts of, okay, this is a collaborative meeting. This is where we need to bring up ideas and and figure this out, you know, or I just need to tell you guys what's happening. This is just for me to fill you in. And then I got to get out, you know, this is a five minute meeting of, I got to fill you in. And we have funny names for all these meetings to try to keep people to remember them. But like it's a signpost. And are there other things that you guys suggest that maybe people sort of put in place so that it's more obvious to the employee, like what are the norms? What are the rules? What am I supposed to do in this moment? Especially because COVID has sort of changed a lot of, of what we're seeing right inside the culture. Yeah, I, I think one thing is that as leaders, we're often so close to the topic and to the information and we forget that other people don't always have the context. So you know, if you want to have a brainstorming session, it like to your point about put up a guidepost, but also give them that information in advance about what you want them thinking about so they can kind of come with information, right? If you blindside me that we want to brainstorm about something, I, I may come up with something good, um, but I probably would have come up with something better if I'd had a little time to think about it. And so um, I think that that's one thing that we can do is, is just remember that we have to provide context. And I love the way that you're operationalizing that with like naming those types of meetings, but, um, you know, and sometimes it's on the, things will happen on the fly, but we just, I think giving people context, we can't assume they have it. I think it's also about making those meetings more effective, right? If you want a brainstorming meeting, I don't want to learn about what we're brainstorming about when I enter the meeting. If I'm the type of person who needs time to process, I want to come with ideas and I want to come ready to go. And I think a piece of this is understanding that we each process information differently. So it's, you know, how can we make our meetings productive and efficient? And that is, I I love the idea that what you're doing, and that is giving people an idea or a heads up of what to expect. I also think it's about respecting people's time, right? There's a lot going on. We've melded personal, professional lives the last year, and it's just being cognizant that a two-hour brainstorming session may not be something that somebody can easily do these days from noon to two, for example. And and to give an example, so we do cockroach meetings, which are like tiny meetings, (laughs) one topic, 15 minutes, right? Never goes late, never starts late. 
Um, we don't bring in any other issues. And it's optional for you to attend. If you get invited to one and you can invite anyone in the organization, there's no hierarchy to it. It's just, I need help, right? Like why the client is mad about this thing. How do I fix it? Or I don't know how to do, uh, you know, this formula in Excel. Who knows how to help me? And they invite five people or whatever, and then they just get help. We're not brainstorming on that kind of meeting, right? There's no, no one needs to prepare. But then we have another meeting called the Tiger Team meeting, which is much bigger meeting. So a leader is probably going to call it. There's going to be an agenda. People are going to know they have to have done research and prepared, and they're going to come ready, talk about a big thing, right? A cockroach is a small thing. A tiger is a big thing, right? It's just a, sort of levels it out. Um, and we're going to, we're going to be on the call for an hour or two hours or even all day if that's what it takes. Right. And that, that's what I mean. Like I just noticed leaders right now are in this sort of trap where, well, we have a standing meeting every day and that kind of gets wobbly because then they have different priorities for the day or, well, we're just going to meet every day at two until four and collaborate. And they're just sort of filling time with junk. And like, I don't know. And then people are just exhausted. I don't know if people feel like they need permission, but we give permission to like really question all of those standing meetings and the current structures and, right. and look at those norms and just shake it up. Right. And and people appreciate that. One of the things that Hema was talking about, the different styles that people process, I think that this is causing a lot of us to look at um, different different meanings of inclusion. Right. So one thing that's been kind of awesome with with remote work is that no longer do we have the the five people in person in a conference room and the seven people on a phone call around the globe trying to get a word in edgewise right everybody's got their own little box <laughs> and and so we you know it's easier for to hear everyone's voice and for people to contribute but recognizing that you know we do want everybody not everybody has the same style but we do want to hear their voice and so as leaders that's part of our role to to recognize that and find ways to improve yeah. it you also lose that FOMO, right? If you are seeing five people in a conference room, you're like, well, how come I wasn't invited? And what are they talking about? And I want to know. And remote people are just meeting and they're working and they're going and you all that FOMO stuff is gone, right? right? I mean, you just can't possibly know what meetings everybody's on. And and yet you have to be communicating and collaborating. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it just this is a weird amount of like social politics that happen in an ecosystem where you have all these people together, you know, of like, politics and FOMO and, and someone burning popcorn or cooking fish in the microwave. It's just like all the worst of human interactions uh, that you, you eliminate. I, I know with COVID, we sort of, it's pretty obvious. If your culture sucked before remote, if you go remote, you're like really, you're really messed up. But were there other lessons that you guys sort of learned and, and picked up on that, you know, that COVID taught us about having a strong organizational culture? Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. We we talk about this quite often, but we're back to basics, right? As it relates to culture. I think at some point over the last three to five years, organizations thought culture was about the ping pong tables and the beer kegs and the happy hours on Friday and the coolest right. campus around and all of these things. And here we are and we're, we're sitting in our houses and we're more productive and people want personal development opportunities. They want growth opportunities, uh, leadership development, coaching, empathy from their leaders. It's really about all of those things that we slowly started to get away from for the new shiny, sexy things. None of that applies anymore. Um, and, and it's been really interesting to see how that will continue to shape the workforce as we talk about 
employee preferences, returning back to the office or staying remote, what campuses look like, what what workspaces look like uh, when they are on site as well. So for us, this this back to basics and kind of the interplay between professional and personal lives and and really the melding of that line has been really important because of COVID. Yeah, and there's this huge sort of difference between we're never going to go back, at least not in in the coming years. We're not going to go back to exactly how it was before. And so even if some people are remote and some people are in the office, guess what? You're still working remotely. It's still a hybrid. <laughs> You're still on Zoom calls with people who are outside right. of the organization. It's yeah. not going to change. You may get to go to lunch with your buddy on Tuesdays because you both go to in the office together. That You can gain that back if that's important to you. But yeah, it's like, it's just not going to to go back to how it was, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Huge opportunity to to reinvent collaboration, to think about what that really means. And, and I, I just see it as a huge opportunity if we decide to take it. It's also an opportunity for us to really engage in more non-traditional, maybe um, types of employment for people. And I know you guys are our gig economy, you know, experts and People don't, people think about the work from home person. That's really who my employees are. We, we think about, um, the digital nomad, the, you know, good looking person in a bathing suit by the pool working on their laptop, you know, in Bali. And then like, that's not really what we're thinking about, but that's a type of remote worker. But gig economy is a remote worker. Anyone doing Uber and DoorDash and uh, a repair person coming to your house, right? That doesn't have an office there out in the field all day long. They are a remote worker. Um, and then you have your part-time people, maybe someone who's willing to do a fractional engagement, mm-hmm. who's fractional CTO, CFO, bookkeeper, you know, whatever. We may be able to sort of interact with some people in that in those ways. We don't maybe need a full-time person in an office all the time to maybe use some of these people in sort of these gig type of, of situations. We'll see how the state of California finally decides how that's going to work. But in theory, for everyone else listening, you know, that kind of is maybe a new opportunity for us. Is that is that also part of what I think you're helping people think about and having that flexible workforce? Absolutely. I don't know if you've seen the statistic, but the numbers say that about 50% of the workforce are actually going to be gig workers by 2025 or 2030. So it's here and it's here to stay. And it's not just the Uber and Lyft drivers. You know, we used to think of like temporary workers. It's highly skilled, really talented people who are just choosing to work in a different way. And so for companies, you know, that that access to elastic talent or on demand when they need it, you know, if they need somebody who can come in and deliver on something or build something right away or get something to market that they've been there, done that, you can have access to that in a different way. And that that's actually one of the reasons we started getting talent was to help companies, even in California, do that in a in a compliant way, but also to help people who choose, want to work that way, you know, overcome barriers that might, that they might perceive in, in making that leap as well. Well, leave it to uh, American workers who are probably going to eventually just sort of make what they want to happen, happen. What I mean by that is that we don't have, we may end up having healthcare because we have so many people who aren't working in a traditional job and we have to find a better way to get them access into having healthcare. Right. So we may end up having sort of a national program just because of the just the volume of people, because we we sort of were pushing it through the employers. Right. We were making them pay for it or subsidize it and not maybe changed. And then here we are asking people they should be taking their, their time off. They should have work life balance. They should take their vacation days. Well, that's easy to do if you're a gig worker. 
uh, assuming you're making enough money and all that. But I mean, like you can just take a day off. If you, no, there's no boss, no one telling you why aren't you driving or delivering or doing these things today. So we, we, we may take our own route there as I guess Americans to get there, but that may be, you know, just by sure, sure volume, how we get there to have some of the same quality or the same balance mm -hmm. that some other, other countries seem mm -hmm. to have when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, the systems have to change and they'll be forced to. Um, you can see them lagging in in many examples, you know, but uh, the, the other point, you know, just brought up is like, um, I can tell you from experience, I was a workaholic. I love my work. I still do. And I can be a workaholic, whether I'm an employee or I am working on my own. Right? <laughs> and so, you know, we definitely encourage people to find ways to integrate that balance. And a silver lining for me with COVID was I don't have to get up at four in the morning to work out. I can actually integrate it into my day pretty easily where there's a gap. And that's like mm -hmm. life changing uh, for someone who loves to work and had a pretty crazy schedule. So. Yeah. I think it's also about the statement that we say, we want people to love what they do. Well, if somebody took an inventory of what their job is and looked at all of the duties and things that encompass that job, how many of those things do you actually love doing? Right. So if it's about rewriting the script and focusing on the things that you not only love doing, but are great at doing that lives in the gig economy and that highly skilled individual is needed by so many organizations for those particular skills. So why not love what you do, make money in what you're doing and reap the rewards of truly living that kind of balanced life that you're looking for? And, and I think that the more people realize they can curate what that life looks like, I think the more that organizations are going to have to start changing the way that they look at talent on a broader scale. Yeah, yeah. And it's so important that they're going to have to do that. And I mean, and, and good organizations are doing it quickly and they're figuring out how to make this happen. And other organizations are struggling and, and misstepping and losing talent and and maybe right now they're a little bit insulated because people are kind of afraid to maybe leave a job, leave security. As soon as things start going again, man, if they're not happy, we're going to see a mass sort of just crazy change in talent and people are going to be upside down. And, you know, the good good cultures are going to do great and the bad cultures are going to really suffer. And mm -hmm. the only people you keep in that scenario are your B and C players. <laughs> right. right. That's the lesson, right? I mean... You know, what's the risk of not doing it? That's the risk, right? People have choices and, and the good people have more choices. Yeah. And sadly, even some of those B people leave after a while. Right. Right. right? So then you're a C and D at that point. <laughs> if you have D level players, we need to talk. <laughs> we need to talk right, right away. Even some uh, of your C's, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things we do love to ask our guests, uh, I know we've talked a lot about lots of different books uh, today, but is there any other books that maybe you guys are reading or something that recently inspired you that you might want to share with the audience? One I'm, I just started is Badass Habits by Jen Sincero. I'm enjoying it so far. I liked her other books. So that's learning how to, you know, how to integrate those habits that we want and, and keep them, keep them alive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading Drunk Tank Pink by Adam Alter. And it's really Drunk a tank pink. Yeah, it's really right. about our environment and all of the forces that shape our actions and behaviors that we don't even realize are shaping our actions and behaviors. Um, and I'm also reading currently, um, it's, I always of, often have two books going at the same time and one you tends to be more, oh. more Buddhist in nature, um, but it's a fearless heart about really courage and compassion and, and leading our decisions from that perspective. 
Well, I also would add to the list, highly suggest Creativity, Inc. It was a really fun biography to understand uh, how Pixar was born and how they dealt with their culture and start, uh, being a startup and a highly technical type of a scenario, but kind of turned into this more of a human. I think it's a really would connect well to anyone who connected to the conversation we had today. Um, there was so many things about them and Steve Jobs I had never heard before because Usually every business book I read, they give me the same three things about Steve Jobs I've already heard for the last 10 books. And these were all brand new stories and brand new things I'd never heard of before. So it was really fascinating. So, it's funny anyways. you mentioned Steve Jobs, actually, because I was reading yesterday about what about the people that influence somebody like Steve Jobs? Yes. What yeah. are their characteristics? I, I saw that somewhere. I'm not trying to think where that was. Yeah, yeah. it was just yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, what are those things that influence them? I mean, it was, he, he used to give away some really interesting books, more on your, your sort of Buddhist side, right, to people. And he was, for as difficult of a personality as he was, he could be very in tune in other ways. And that's what's interesting about Pixar is he was, you know, he owned it, but like he wasn't in the day-to-day -day, mm -hmm. and he knew enough to stay away and let them do what they needed to do and be involved where he could help. Um, and he did some really important things to help them, but yet the day-to-day -day stuff not it was not his, his job. And yet he was over at Apple, making everybody miserable and changing the world at the same time, you know, being incredible. So anyways, how, most important question of the day, how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about uh, gig talent? Where can they find your book? What's the best way for them to interact with you both? Absolutely. We are on all social media channels. So LinkedIn uh, is always really important to us. Uh, Facebook, we have Instagram as well. Um, and our website, in order to learn more about gig talent, which is www.gogigtalent.com. So make sure you check out check out uh, Jamie Jacobs and Hema Crockett. And if you can't find them, well, you can just go to Twitter and follow at PeopleG2, and we'll have them tagged there. And you can find them. You can find their book. Please go out and buy it wherever you buy your books, Amazon or go to kogenpage.com, and you can find it. And thank you so much, both of you, for being on the show today. And hopefully... We can have you come back again and give us more incredible insights and talk more about all the cool stuff that you guys always seem to be doing. Thank you so much, Chris. All right. Thank you, everyone. Hopefully you've uh, learned something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.